looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, John, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get this show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 106 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another mind-blowing episode of Live from Detroit. This one has got it all. Hope you're ready for an amazing story because my guest today, Blanca Blanco, has an amazing story to tell. Blanca is the very definition of self-made, coming from nothing to reach great success as an award-winning actress and fashion model. Blanca has an incredible story to tell so much she had to overcome in her life to reach the levels of success that she did. She wrote a book. We're going to talk about it. So prepare to be inspired by my conversation with Blanca Blanco, and that's coming up in just a few minutes. I hope you all caught last week's episode with Rajiv Satyal. That was such a fun conversation. And quick update, I'm still six continents behind his record-setting feat of doing comedy on all seven continents. I got all your emails. I got all your DMs. Everyone's like, Jeff, yeah, but now what? You got one continent covered. What do you have your sights set on? And the reality is I'm kind of hovering right now around one, to be honest. Not sure what my next move is going to be. I got people making plans, people calling people, my people, your people. We'll see. We'll see what happens next. Oh, and I do have some other exciting news to share. If you're listening to this on air date and you live in Michigan or close to Michigan, On March 11th, 2022, I will be at the Magic Bag Theater with Tammy Pescatelli. That's right, Tammy Pescatelli from episode 96 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. We're together again. We worked together a while ago at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, and now we will be performing at the Magic Bag Theater in Ferndale, Michigan. Search the Magic Bag, the one in Ferndale. Head on over there for tickets if you're in the area. I would love to see you there. Also, quick update on episode 102 with Mike Binder. My wife listened to that episode. She doesn't listen to all the episodes, you know, because she gets me every day. You guys get me special a couple times a week, but she hears me every day, all day. So she doesn't always tune in. (laughs) Uh, But lucky for me, she listened to that one. That's, That's the one where Mike Binder makes fun of me, not once, but twice about the backdrop in my office. Because when we do the interviews, it's over video and we can see each other. This is just audio. And my wife called me out on that, and she had a hilarious good time doing so. So thank you, Mike Binder. If you haven't listened to episode 102, go tune in. It's a great conversation. You can hear that and the jabs live. It's episode 102 with Mike Binder, and you can make fun of me along with my wife. Good times. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right. This is the fun part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street. I've been in the social media game for years, and I think it's awesome when we can share information and all raise our social media game together. Today's tip is a primer of sorts. I was watching a video from the CEO of Instagram, and he showed how to make an avatar for Instagram and Facebook through the Instagram settings so that when they get more immersed into the meta world, you can have an avatar ready. An avatar being a digital representation of you 
that goes beyond just your profile photo. It's like a whole little mini you. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Here's how you do it. So in Instagram, you go to settings, then click on account, then click on avatars. It'll take you through a whole process. You can choose your skin tone, your head shape, your hair, glasses, eye color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're done, you have an avatar that eventually you can use in different ways on Instagram and Facebook as the meta world expands. I have no idea exactly what that means right now, but I figured, hey, we could all have fun getting ready for it, right? And then when you're ready and all of it presents itself, we'll all be avatar prepared, looking fine in our avatar digs. And that's the social media tip. I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor is an online bookstore near you. Let's call it Barnes & Noble. Let's call it Amazon. But specifically, anywhere online that you can buy Blanca Blanco's book, Breaking the Mold. Grab your copy today. It will surely inspire you. Not convinced? Well, guess what? You will be after listening to my conversation with Blanca Blanco. We go through a lot of the threads of the book where Blanca outlines her life struggles early on with poverty, later sexual abuse, and then losing everything she owns in a fire. Her perseverance will surely inspire you. I'm excited to share my conversation that I had with Blanca with you. Ladies and gentlemen, a Blanca Blanco. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, actress, author, model, fashion icon, Blanca. Blanco, how are you? Good, good. I'm doing great, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me in your show. I'm so happy that you read my book. Yeah, well, I'm so happy that you wrote it. it, it I'm really excited to talk to you about it. It's it's really inspirational. And I know you wrote it from, you know, having such a pain in your background and, and then using it to help other people. I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. It was definitely a passion project during the lockdown that I, I had time to reflect on my journey, my life journey. And I thought we need more stories of hope and resilience because I'm seeing so much poverty and abuse and discrimination happening during the pandemic that I thought it would be good to have stories of that inspires people. Like I can make changes and that's where breaking the mold came about. It's amazing how much creativity came out of the pandemic when we were all stuck at home, how many projects emerged and things that we just frankly never had time to do. All of a sudden we had time to do and and we were able to evolve in different ways and express ourselves in different ways. In your book, you talk about being a young child falling asleep in a frigid garage and you make a promise to yourself that poverty is never going to define you. This is roughly when you're nine and you've already moved back from Mexico. But let's so let's go back and work up to that point. You were born in the United States. You moved to Mexico with your family. Talk to me about the years in Mexico. Those were the years that you, with your family, that you then worked to get back to the U.S. I was born in Watsonville, and then we moved to Mexico. And when we were in Mexico, we were experiencing also poverty, but also there was a lot of violence. And so a lot of kids were getting kidnapped. Kids were scared. Like to, I would hear in the news or the neighborhood talking about, you know, kids that are being kidnapped. And it was traumatic for me, for me and my siblings. We convinced my parents to move us to my grandma's, to, you know, to California. 
And so then we began telling everything and it took us a few months because we also, which in the book, I explain how we had the funds to come to the U.S. and then someone stole the money. So I began to help my family by doing it to like a Tostada stand, which is like a lemonade stand here in the U.S., something like that. So and then my older brother and I would go and sell tacos and stuff in the street. Well, it was like a little bit of money, but my parents were able to finally get enough to move. And then we came to the U.S. and we went with my grandma. And eventually my father got a job in Washington State as a migrant worker. And so he moved there first to get settled with a job. And then he brought us there. And we lived in a car garage. We didn't have funds to rent a place. But, you know, in the garage, we had no heating. We had no hot water. The walls were so thin and it was like negative degrees. So I would go to sleep every night very cold. And so I remember thinking like, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. So I, that's where I developed a lot of determination. Like, you know, I wanted to take action. So I knew that I couldn't control what was happening to me, like living in poverty and experiencing all this, you know, abuse and discrimination, but I could definitely be in control of my perception, the way that I see things. So I took action. I took steps every day. I wanted to break the cycle of poverty. So I don't want to stay like this forever. And I don't want to be, I don't want to take the path, you know, like the wrong path either. I, I want to have a successful life. I want to be educated and also be an actress. So when you live in a garage and you tell people like teachers that you want to be an actress in Hollywood, look at you like, okay, well, let's think something realistic, you know? <laughs> so that's where it's like, okay. You just learn not to say much about it anymore and just prove with actions. How did you take what they were saying to you and kind of push it aside and still push forward? I knew that I could either believe them or I could just say, no, I'm going to do my own path. I want to do this on my own. And I developed that skill of looking at things in a positive way, even though I had a lot of negatives. I realized when I thought of my problems that I was experiencing as a child, it was harder you know, to feel positive. But if I saw the problems as a challenge, then I was more determined. It gave me like control. Like I'm, I'm taking these steps, change this, and it's challenging myself, giving me determination. And I use that. So I, I learned to turn the, the barriers into challenges as a way of being able to look at it in a positive way. So I did that as a little kid. People ask me, how did you do that? No, I didn't have a therapist when I was a child. You know, I didn't have a therapist. I just pretty much learned that by the way that I would feel things. It's like, oh, well, but if I look at it like this, then I can, uh, it gives me like a sense of power. So uh, that's why I tell people, like, even if you had a rough childhood and you didn't have therapy, you learn Bible skills. You know, we're, we're capable of overcoming challenges. So and it just, you can get therapy as an adult, put everything together, you know, but it definitely I, I worked on myself before I even knew what the technical terms were. And then later when you went to school, use sort of that innate skills that you had with psychology and a master's in social work degree, right? Yeah. And that's, that's another, you know, I have my bachelor's in psychology and then I have my um, graduates uh, in social work. But when I started studying psychology, I was like, wow, I guess I've been working myself since I was a kid. But I didn't know the technical terms, you know, but I was able to do things that were able to help me 
defense mechanism, you know, like I was able to use that instead of coming, you know, according to research, people that live in severe poverty and abuse and all these barriers, they're more likely to drop out of school, get pregnant early, go, you know, use drugs, become alcoholics, like all this is like, everything is against you because it's according to the stats. And, and I knew that I never liked those habits either. And I want, I wanted to break that, you know, I wanted to defy, I, I didn't want to be part of that stat. I'm like, I'm going to make a new number, you know, like myself, <laughs> like I'm going to just like push and see, because I can, I can feel it and see far away my goals of what I was going to do. Like I wanted to, you know, be an educated person and also do acting and people ask me well why did you get your degrees and then you're just using your mind for acting no I was just preparing I was not gonna just I knew that growing up the key to us changing our lifestyle was if we would have had my parents would have had an education when we were little you know we had limitations because of the language barrier and also no degrees from America from the U.S. I knew that if we would have had that degrees it would have changed many or lifestyles so I knew that that was the key to success and so I just it took me longer to come to LA after I received my master's but when I moved here I had a sense of I had a strong foundation like I'm able to handle I'm prepared and no matter what happens like I'm not desperate like if I don't book something I feel secure that has been helping me a lot when I'm audition and and I try to be patient and I've been doing a lot of great films and my career as an actress is, you know, doing very good. And I didn't have any family when I moved here, like in the industry. So it was just me, like with my dreams, you know. And so I navigated the system and I learned, tried to learn how it works. And that's what I just did, you know, with that industry. I was able to have like a, like I worked in hospice work when I first moved here because I needed like a real job in the beginning. You, you're not in the union and you, there's not a lot of work. But I took each opportunity as a way of building my experience. Like, okay, I will get a regular job and then like I can fund my classes, my workshops, my headshots, everything that we need as an actor, you know, like to have be prepared. So I did that. And so in the union for, for many years now, and definitely it feels like I'm do accomplishing the goals I wanted as a child when I was in the garage and I wanted to be an actress and we would perform with my siblings in the garage and just pretend, you know, we were all these characters. And it's a good feeling to be able to know how much difficult it was to be in that moment. But I gained so many skills, my adaptability skills, my growth and my strength. As you mentioned, I read the book and poverty wasn't the only thing that you were kind of working out of, right? So your your father was yes. abusive. He wasn't abusive all the time, but he definitely he was very, um, he used, you know, belts to hit me. He used a uh, whip from Mexico. That, that was another reason why we wanted to come to the U.S. because in Mexico, my father, run, he run the police department. So you couldn't really call and file a report. And, and the whole reporting at that time, it's just like not very common. And so when we came to um, the U.S., definitely he knew that we could call the police. So he he didn't use the whip. He would just use the belt or, or a shoe. 
which is still pretty bad, but um, I'm just like, just to give you an idea. So I didn't tell any teachers about it. I was too ashamed, you know, like it was just like, it was just embarrassing too. Like, I'm just like, your father is supposed to be a protector, you know? So I just pretty much, you know, I knew I had many challenges, but I didn't want that to stop me in the future. And then I knew that someday I began speaking up. My father had very traditional views, like women belong in the kitchen, like very like old fashioned. He didn't believe in education for women or sports. So I did sports because I didn't understand why I couldn't when my brother was doing it. I shared all this in my book. So I was constantly fighting for my own, you know, voice. And um, I was able to do sports and go to college. I, I went through a lot, which in the book I described the change, you know, the challenges I went through. And, you know, with you know, my father accepting that I was like an independent person. It's very interdependent in, in our culture, especially, you know, back in the days, I was very like, everything I needed to do was like, as an independent person, you know, you go to university and had to break the the mold. And that's what I did. That's why I called it breaking the mold. Because I want to, you break that mold, you break the pattern of every area, every chapter, even though there's so many you know, challenges, it's filled with hope and courage, every chapter. Like, it's not just like, oh, God, a book that is about, like, all these bad things. It's about, like, the bad things, but also what my lessons were, what tools I applied to help me get through it, and even now. So this is, like, continuous, that the roller coaster, you know, you have the roller coaster, but then you are, like, not quitting, you know, like you're going to keep going. That's like the whole idea of my book. Yeah, it does. It balances between like autobiography and self-help. Uh, and I just thought with, you know, being when I was experiencing, you know, the abuse or just discrimination, I, I reminded myself, I, I worked on taking steps of just being, you know, t- like positive affirmations, you know, things like, you know, I'm a strong person. Like I will kind of just remind myself, even though I didn't believe it much, you know, because it's like, oh, I so many things. But every day I just worked on being kinder to myself, talking positive, reframing, you know, reframing was something that pretty much is in every chapter. Like that's how I overcame and uh, many of the obstacles, but just like knowing that I am I am gonna accept who I accept who I am and I'm proud and you know whatever other people believe is their problem. My life choices, my thoughts and actions are only controlled by me, not other people. Right. But it's a hard thing to to overcome. I mean I know you, yeah. you mentioned in the book being bullied and the racist mm-hmm. racist stuff that you know, especially in high school. But then going mm-hmm. back and and helping people in high school learn from the stories and the the tools that you have in the book. So I I know I know yeah. I hated high school. Not to nothing compares to what you had. just I oh, was. You did. I was just a dork and I didn't love it. But like, but even just walking into it or when I see someone from there, I'm like, Ugh. so, you know, I know like it triggers fast, especially anything from those days triggers oh, you. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of trauma associated with high school. Like, I know that for me, like when I was in fifth grade, I remember I would get kids would make fun of me because I was ethnic. I was from somewhere else. My name was funny. All these things that would say or you have bushy eyebrows like you know all these things that are like when you're a kid like it affects you and you don't understand why they're like you know being mean to you when you're just being nice to them you know but you know with time you realize the more you ignore people they 
they go and bully someone else. Definitely, they're just projecting their own insecurities. And it takes time for us when you're being bullied to uh, understand that, though. Like, um, I knew that being an immigrant family was another factor for being bullied. Living in poverty, another, like, oh, you don't have your clothes ripped. Oh, you don't have the nice outfits. So it's like every day I used to hate going to school. Like I just wanted to just not ever go to school, but I had to do it because if I did it, then I was going to be part of the stat that wasn't going to complete anything. And you broke the mold. There you go. Yeah. Boom. Again. Okay. So poverty, your father, but that's not all. You also overcame a rough start in when you came to LA to start in the business, right? You you ran uh-huh. into fake producers that mm-hmm. that sexually assaulted you, and you had to then deal yeah. with that. Yeah, when I moved here, I mean, definitely, I experienced. I remember one time I went to this audition. I went through the proper channels, like you know, the agents, the managers, and and it was supposed to be for a project for. A studio, but I like I didn't mention the studio because I don't want it was not the studio. It was a scam, basically. So I only wanted to share that. So any actors that read always like keep in mind, trust your instinct. Because I remember I just felt very uncomfortable. I'm like, well, it's like there were so many things that were that had red flags, but I also wanted to. I'm like, well, you know, they're agents, they're managers, they've been around for years. I'm like new here, like so I kind of you know took that that, that like, perspective, but I still took frame with me to when I booked the job and I went there and definitely the locations, everything that was selected didn't have any cameras, even the hotel. And so I shared that in the book, how the, it was just basically one producer that is not really a producer, you know? Yeah. He tried to assault me and hurt me physically too. Like when I tried to escape, I, I got in my car and he slammed the the door in my legs and I was bleeding, but I was able to escape and I punched him in the, in his middle part. <laughs> And I got away, but but I just, it was a struggle. And then I, I filed a police report and and then I did go through the studio that the, they had claimed and they had claimed and they investigated and they were very concerned because he, they, everything was so perfect, organized, documents and stuff, contracts. And it's like, wow. So I did get the support from the studio that were supposedly it was that and they were very reaching out to me, making sure I was okay. But it was obviously not something that, you know, I, I had some instincts. And I took a friend and I still got optimized. And But then I thought, well, no, I'm not going to just, I'm going to take action. I'm going to, you know, make sure the tell, you know, the studio and get police and stuff, because this is obviously going to happen to someone else. And I, I got lucky. I was able to escape. Thank goodness. Yeah. With just minor injury. And did they ever get the guy? No, they never did. And, uh, and you know, I didn't even get his name because when it's been many years ago, but I like, I haven't no idea what his full name is and so and i have no picture right? it's not like we keep me like, oh let me take a picture of you so i have record of it. <laughs> like, and so it was definitely something that i just wanted to share this in my book just to show people that you know what we go through sometimes in the beginning or even any any time i mean we have like that you know so many things going on with in hollywood it was something that you know, I just thought I will share my lessons here on this chapter. And it was a scam. When you were sharing that story, did a lot of people come out and share similar stories that they've had? Is it how rampant yeah. is that kind of thing in the in the industry? Do that they prey on on women like that? You know, that type of behavior, it's very 
common. After Harvey Weinstein, more people are being careful, and especially men that are using their power to, you know, with women. And especially when they have a position that they can just do that, like they feel they can. But now in the last few years, things have been better. Like I feel they have been improving where people are more like producer or anyone in the industry is careful how they approach people because, you know, it's like people are speaking up. Uh, I was very happy to see the Me Too campaign, people um, speaking up about their struggles and very happy that that's happening because that is like a shift in the industry because that has been around for years. Have you been involved with the industry to help shed light on it outside of mentioning it in your book? I support people that are opening up their, you know, sharing their experiences and there's not much, you know, just speaking up. That's all we can do, you know, voice our opinions. But that's not all. You also talk about you lost everything, your home in the in the Woolsey fire. Yes. I can't even imagine that. That's just so tragic to the whole idea of just everything you have burning away like that. Yeah, it was definitely another traumatic, tragic moment because I lost my entire home with everything in it. I share in my book, Breaking the Mold, the journey from escaping from the fire because it was I didn't know if I was going to make it. And so I only took one carry-on with legal documents. And I honestly didn't think nothing was going to happen. Like I said, oh, what are the chances that we'll get here? And then once... You know, the long journey that I have in my book about everything that went through was on escaping and the anxiety, the fire, like close to my cars, sparks on my windshields and pitch black, even though it's like morning, you know. Once I escaped and I was able to sit down, I went to a place to look to see the news. And that's when I saw as the first five minutes, I see my house burning on TV. And so I talk about that. But one of the things that I had a comfort knowing that I was, I was and people that were, you know, my close to me were safe. I remember from my childhood, I was able to do so much. And I, now I have knowledge and experience. I have a strong foundation. I can definitely recover from this. So I had that comfort. Like I was doing anything interviews and stuff and I was doing all everything and I'm just like people are like well you handle it pretty well and I'm like well I, I had like worse experiences from my childhood <laughs> like you know like I was just like yeah this is material stuff I can obtain you know I'm alive I can do that I mean I was the only thing that it was the family pictures or my book collection because I am like a bookworm I like to read every day so I had all my books from college and just what I accumulated. And that was very, like, difficult. Like, oh, my books. I miss my books <laughs> and my pictures. But that was just like, you know, obviously, I, I kind of ordered a few of my books that I had. <laughs> and so after I moved into a place. But also, when you lose a home, you can't order anything on Amazon because you don't have an address. And so I remember order wanted to order some stuff and I'm like, oh, I can't like for my bunny little house. And I couldn't because hotels are they don't let you <laughs> use their address for delivery, even if they know there's like a situation that it's not like I'm just wants their I just want their address for no reason. So I learned a lot of lessons from that. It was interesting. I when I was reading that chapter, because you had 10 minutes, you didn't mm-hmm. have a huge warning. They were like, you got to be out here. Now you got like 10 minutes to evacuate your house. And so Mm -hmm. in that 10 minutes, 
you had to decide what to bring from a house that you may never have be able to go back to, which, and as it turned out, you couldn't because of the fire. But it, it brings up an interesting thing. Like I started thinking to myself, what would I grab? You know, you start yeah. to like, it's an interesting kind of thing that kind of run through your head. If like you only had that moment, what is important to you? What is the thing that you're going to, to grab? It's like, it was, it was, yeah. it was interesting. It got me thinking, got me thinking. Well, that's good because that was, you know, growing up in leadership class or just anywhere, you're like, oh, what would you take if you had a fire and you could take like 10 things? Like you think about, oh, I will take this, I will take that. But the reality is when you're in that moment, you have the emotional, like the fear, and then you have the, you can't really, you're all over the place with emotions. So you're not really thinking straight that even if you had a plan, like, you're like, oh, oh my God, you gotta get your bunny, you gotta get your, you know, like you're thinking everything that it's not as clear thinking when you know that there's a fire coming your way. You know, what I learned because I didn't take any of my jewelry, I didn't take anything pretty much. I just took one outfit in my carry-on. And later, once I, you know, everything happened, I remember I thought about, oh, I should I should have brought this. Oh, but it's just like impossible unless you have a list. On your house on the fridge okay and because of fire take this i think that's effective because then you can look at it and be like oh okay um i just for me getting the legal documents was important because i was going to travel to marrakesh in two days i mean within two weeks for work right the things that are hard to get back because even in like in your exercise you just mentioned where you say pick 10 things not only 10 things it's 10 things that you could carry and put into that car ah. based on the amount of people who are also in that car grabbing their things, right? Uh, and it's not realistic because you could be, oh, I'm going to take, you know, the, um, you know, my grandma's machine, you know, like sewing machine, like all these things. And you only have one carry on. Like, it's almost like everything goes out the window, like all the ideas that you might have. But I, I know for me, I feel like I, I just in that moment, I was I was scattered, confused, like, oh, my God, should, well, maybe it's not going to happen. What if, you know, I, I have a feeling it's going to happen. So then because look, what are the chances, you know, that is going to get here? This, you know, you're like in denial, you know, so that's what I I, I had people say, oh, my God, I would have taken all my jewelry and say, well, you were not there. You know, so when you're there in that moment, you're going to you can take whatever you want, but don't judge people for not taking their jewelry. Like, it's like I didn't stay there looking for things so I could get in trouble, you know? I'm guessing here for a second, but growing up with close to nothing and poverty, your thoughts on things are different than somebody who grew up with tons of stuff around them. That's true because when people are grow up having everything not having to work for anything they don't know how capable they are of doing anything like that like i knew i was capable of collecting everything i need again i had the skills i did it before so i can do it again it was just like hard that a lot of my books were or pictures but i thought i could order the books again and the pictures well at least we have some pictures still you know at my parents house I kind of had to look at it like that, like in a positive way, because the reality is that it was gone. So I can't be like dwelling on the negative, you know, what is the point? That totally makes sense. And then you talk about as you're finishing up the book, your mom passed away. Very sorry about that. So that that must have been hard. She was an important part of the whole story. She was the 
she was basically the the backbone of the the book you know she was she was my rock my entire life she supported all my decisions matter how crazy my ideas were she would encourage them and she would never tell me oh you know that's too thinking too much like would tell her i'm gonna go and be a hollywood actress she would actually say well you know just keep working at it like i don't think she believed it was gonna happen you know because nobody in our family or anyone i knew were um in the industry so but i found a way you know and so she was very involved in my book process like i would share with her every chapter i was doing like we would have zooms and i would be like hey so i'm i just finished this chapter and she was very happy that i wrote my book because when i was a child i had journals and she would tell me tell me like you know you can always like you know I, she will give me journals so every year because i wanted to eventually write a book so she was happy that I was doing that before she passed away I read her some of the book and she was very happy and she pointed out some stuff that I forgot like little details I'm like oh like when we live in the garage she's like oh remember when you would get blisters in your hands from the cold water oh I totally forgot about that you know like okay and then I went back and I added some details it was very it is the most difficult pain I ever experienced losing my mom but I was happy that I was able to be with her a month before she passed away and I took care of her and I helped her work on her last wishes, her to-do list that she wanted to do. I made sure that she completed everything. So by the time she finished her, she wanted to do, she died within a day. So I knew that once we completed her list, that she probably was going to be ready to go. She would be ready and there's not much we can do. You can't keep people that they, you know, when they're ready to go, they're, they're ready. And she was, even though she was young, she was 62 and she had a, she didn't have COVID. She had heart condition heart failure and kidney failure like last minute all of a sudden she had that and so she had a heart attack 10 years ago but she was doing checkups and all of a sudden like after checkup everything you know declined so we had to go through we you know went through the the hospital during the covid you know where we couldn't be with her because in the night or day like only one person so there was no switching and you know we're like a family of seven I, when the doctor told her that she was she had two weeks to live I was the one that I went to the meeting and I I was there with her and uh, I was able to help her through the process and guide my siblings that's what I did in hospice when I did hospice in Los Angeles I I helped my patients and the families through the end of life process I think that's why I ended up doing the job because it was going to prepare me to to be able to help my mom you know other siblings we were all involved but everybody had different skills one of my siblings you know just couldn't really handle the the news from the doctor or that type of conversation. So we'll put her in a different, you know, to do other stuff. And I was okay with that because I wanted to ma make sure we had a good plan for my mom, you know, make sure that when she's getting home for under hospice care, that we have everything in place and all the resources that we need. So I was like, pretty much like, you know, in control as far as taking care of my mom when she goes home. I talk in my book about, I talk about that experience, the, the whole of, of loss, because just the moment I've been, I was told about it, like I was working in Atlanta and I took the plane. I was doing laundry actually when I got the call and I just, uh, I was at a hotel because I was filming there. I don't live there. When I got the call, I remember you know, there's not a lot of details I can get. My siblings don't know what to ask, you know, like, 
what is like you know from the doctors i don't know what kind of questions they should be asking so i said okay i'm flying out today i asked my brother to buy me the, to book my flight because i'm like kind of i'm stressed i don't i want to make sure i have the right date and stuff you know he was able to do that for me and i just got my clothes from out of the washer and i flew with a suitcase full of wet clothes and i just went straight to the hospital and and yeah it was terminal so i so i knew that that was the case that my siblings couldn't get that information like they were like in a bit of denial yeah so i know but i share also like what helped me through those moments and what helped how the dynamic in my family changed but like things that um tips that were helpful for me that hopefully it can help other people because like things that are, everything is new when you're gonna lose a parent because you never we only have a set of parents so it's not like we have so much experience so i share the steps that i was able to take to even with the grieving process also it's beautiful that you were your mom was a rock for you your whole life and then at the end you were able to be return that favor and be a rock for her oh. and uh that's a, it's it's beautiful it's great that thank you it's funny isn't it how like when when somebody's ready to go they go she finished the list and then like my grandfather we all visited and then once he had said goodbye to everyone then he died that night it was i think just there's something that happens i think with the the body when something can be could be completed on this this plane they're ready to go to the next when i work in hospice i i saw patterns like that also like a lot of patients would wait till after the holidays they're ready to go but they will wait for the last christmas the last new year's eve and then we had so many deaths in in january so people work very hard to keep to stay alive for the last for their family it's amazing how the that all works i don't know what it is what power in the universe but it's uh it is amazing yeah the strength that they have even at the end they, they work so hard they know that it's gonna happen but they just hold on for that moment. Like we did a Christmas in June with my mom. She brought gifts for everyone and we opened gifts. Uh, it was like bittersweet because we know she's going to die soon. We have footage of everything as opening gifts and she's smiling and the kids, their gifts and everything. But that's great. That Did your your mom knew she, she was at the end too? Yeah, she knew she was at the end. She was very strong. Like she knew that. But she was very spiritual. So she would say, well, if this is what God wants, you know, it's um, I'm not going to fight it, you know. She believed that. And the day before she passed away, after we finished all the lists, her move her legs at all. And she looked at me and she's like, I'm getting worse. But like with I saw the fear in her eyes. Like she she knew. And then after that she cared herself. Well God bless you for being there and, and helping her through that. It's it's so touching. Thank you. I feel like we've talked about all the adversity. Let's talk about your uh, <laughs> let's talk about no, I don't. Yeah, really interesting that you studied acting with Gordon Hunt. That's Helen Hunt's dad. For 10 years. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was interesting. Yes. Gordon Hunt, he was my mentor and my teacher for many years. I perform every week and he was just such a wonderful person. Like he would tell us when you finish your auditions, you just drive home, forget about it. Don't think if, oh, did I book it or not? Like, it's just an opportunity that we had and let it go. So he kind of trained us to think like that because, you know, when in the beginning, we don't have a lot of experience with but like the chances are, if you do 10 auditions, you maybe get one call back. It's not personal. It's just the way that the, the stats are. He really made my life easier by showing me the numbers, how it works. 
And then I just have to work on whatever I'm able to have control. Like I can prepare for it. I can take workshop, you know, I keep building my skills. So what I would do after every audition, I remove the whole, oh my God, why did I do this? Why did I do that? I, I removed that. Instead, I, I looked at it like, okay, so what, what did I like about the audition? But what can I do to improve for next time? So, okay, the ones that I started with that, the things that I did, that I did good, because anytime you're going to try to change the behavior, you, you want to keep motivated, keep the motivation going. So I, I said, okay, I did good here, here and there. Okay. So then I'm like, then what, what should I be working on next? So then I will take like three things from the audition I want to improve. So then I work for my next audition, I'm improving and not repeating the same things so every addition i'm like reflecting on the next one trying to just keep improving my skills that's what i did so i now i'm able to do a self-tape which is the, the new normal or i can just um do an addition and i just say like okay um oh i like this and okay i will work on this or next time you know or keep i don't like feel like oh my god like it was really good that he was my mentor you know and I also worked with Sally Kirkland for many years, and I, I've had many great coaches. That's amazing. And then, I mean, your IMDb is just full, so that's uh, they must have, have taught you very well. Yeah, I mean, another thing for that, whenever I work on a project, I feel like I, it's a privilege to be there because I know the odds are being there. You know what I mean? It's like pretty low. I appreciate when I'm on set. I really appreciate you spending time with me and talking about your story and your book. It's it's so inspiring. Can't thank you enough. Where can people keep up with you on the social medias? On Instagram, at Blanca Blanco Actress. On Twitter, just my name, Blanca Blanco. I do have a website, just BlancaBlanco.com. So pretty much just I'm, I'm everywhere, <laughs> social media wise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And then also just you know, just to let you guys know, my book is at Barnes and Noble and also on Amazon, Breaking the Mold. Yes. And I definitely, everyone, uh, I'll put links to it in the show notes as well. So everyone can link directly to it. When you go to a Barnes and Noble now, if you walk in, do you like move your book around? So it's sitting out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Make sure it's not hitting, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. How amazing was Blanca Blanco? It's hard not to be inspired by her story, isn't it? Blanca never gave up and eventually found such great success. Definitely check out her book, Breaking the Mold. You can find it online, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, any of your major book.coms will have Breaking the Mold. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free, never cost a penny hashtag roundup app at the Apple or Google app play stores. Get notified every time a hashtag game begins. Never miss a hashtag. Tweet along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Fame and fortune awaits you. Today's hashtag is meant to inspire, just like Blanca Blanco's book is meant to inspire. The hashtag, hashtag wish I would have, is brought to us by Healing with Hashtags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. It's a reflection tag. What do you wish you may have done differently? All right, let's dive in. Hashtag wish I would have. I wish I would have stood up for myself a bit more in life. I wish I would have learned the first time. I wish I would have stopped and looked around once in a while. 
I wish I would have learned earlier in life that green grass on the other side of the fence is often astroturf. I wish I would have listened to my heart less and my intuition more. I wish I would have held my tongue instead of bickering with my sister. But sometimes I have no filter. And our final, hashtag wish I would have. I wish I would have valued myself more when I was younger. All great mantras, all great hashtag wish I would have tweets. And you know the drill. They're all retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter. Go find them, show them some love. Let them know if you connect with the message that they sent through that hashtag. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Well, with the interview over, and now the hashtag complete, that can only mean one thing. That's right. We've come to the end of another episode. Episode 106 is coming to a close. Where does the time go? Special thanks, of course, to my guest, Blanca Blanco, for joining me. And of course, a huge thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.